This is Home Time. It's Absolute Radio. Uh, it's a Monday afternoon and it is an honour to welcome to the show. He's brought us in a little Christmas cold. It's James May. Hello. Oh, bless. <laughs> That's my we, cold voice. As we speak, uh, James, you're surrounded by... You've got Lemsip on the go. Yep. You've got, we've given you some fishermen's friends. Yes, thank you. Well, you presented him with about five different packets. You did... It was almost as if you were a fisherman's friend's dealer. I felt like I, I gave them to James across my arm, like, like he would do <laughs> some thought, jewellery. I thought that that suggested prior experience of dealing in illicit substances <laughs> in places where they weren't really allowed. I thought you'd sort of open up your coat and have some watches as well, you know, and some nylons. And, what? and other things from the nylons. 50s, like Fisherman's Friends. Fair too. play, though, for coming in. We didn't know whether you you, would, you might not want to do this. I mean, obviously, you are a poorly man. We know what man flu is like. You you could expire yeah, at any minute. I don't believe in it. You don't believe it? I don't believe in man flu. I think it was invented by women to belittle men. <laughs> <laughs> I've just wow. got a cold. I'm tempted to say that I don't believe that you have the cold and you're actually just being very professional and uh, you've come in to talk about uh, Our Man in Japan, uh, your new show on Prime mm. Video. Uh, and, of course, that start. I say, of course, you know, I've seen it. Um, that starts off with you in a very, very very cold part of Japan and yes. I put it to you that this is all a ruse good thinking I like it <laughs> but rubbish <laughs> he's not having it <laughs> but if, it, if, cold. It was, if it wasn't so long it was very cold yeah, I was, I'd never been cold in Japan before and I've been there quite a few times I've never been to Hokkaido and it's absolutely freezing and very beautiful because mm. there's nobody there really it's got I think 5% of Japan's population and it's about it's 20 something percent of the land mass so it's all covered in the lovely blanket of snow It'd make a perfect Christmas card if they did Christmas yeah um uh, they don't do Christmas? Too. Well, actually, that, the weird thing is, they do do Christmas. This is something I discovered uh, when I got sort of more to places like Tokyo and Osaka. My guides were telling me that because Shintoism is a bit of a pick-and-mix religion, you sort of, you configure it to your own liking, a bit like Hinduism to some extent, you can sort of draw in a few bits of other religions. So they do, some of them do Christmas. Well, so wouldn't it, it be good to knock Christmas on the head a little bit? I don't know how your view of Christmas is. If you'd like. No, I love Christmas. Do you? Yeah, but I like, I like Christmas at home. I've only ever had it abroad once, and that was in, this isn't a joke, Turkey, <laughs> where I ended up, <laughs> which was a slightly odd experience. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd be quite interested to do Christmas in Japan because I don't know what they make of it. There are lots of anecdotal stories about going to places like Japan and seeing a Christmas tree with a crucified Santa Claus on the top and things like that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I suspect that's not really true. The strange I think thing it's is, just a gift. You know, they think, oh, time for some gifts. That's what it is over here, <laughs> yeah. though, isn't it? <laughs> so much. many of our sort of, like, Christmas references of, like, white Christmas and snow and snowmen all never happens. That's generally no. sort of, like, February or March and none of us can get to work because of the trains and all that kind of stuff. But you did get to experience some some really very white things that were going on. Like, particularly this 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 amazing snowball fight, yeah. which which had a <laughs> snowball fight stadium. Did I, did I misunderstand that, or was that a stadium bespoke for snowball fights? No, you didn't misunderstand that. That is a snowball fighting stadium. I amazing. thought this was a game-changer. Yes. No, it's a, it is the, inevitably the Japanese have sort of codified it and made it dangerous, which is something <laughs> they seem to quite like doing. So, as you say, it hardly ever snows in England, but if you were in, say, New York, you know, where you get a lot of snow or bits of southern Germany, you think, ha, 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 snow, and you pick up a nice powdery snowball and you go, hee, 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 and throw it at your brother. <laughs> the Japanese make them into cannonballs so that they break your ribs. <laughs> you, mean, you must have thrown a snowball before then and thought, I'm pretty handy at this. If there was a, if there was a pro sports circuit, you, you know, you could go quite far. I, mean, I feel like I've got a good... 
You got well, a good throw on you, James? Like I, a... Well, I'm not a bad thrower, yes. I mean, I've famously thrown some things quite accurately in Jeremy Clark's <laughs> in the last year or so. And I'm OK at throwing, but I was very much out of my depth with that lot because they, you know, they took it very seriously. And they were, they were a professional, not a professional team, but they were a national team. They played against the Canadians and things like that. So they took it pretty seriously. The Canadians got wall to wall snow as well. Yeah, they exactly. must be pretty yeah, damn so, good at it. Yeah, Yours were quite... It was quite a loopy throw you were going with. It was more sort of like up and out, wasn't it, really? Oh, well, I was going for a sort of grenade lob. Yeah, because I was <laughs> yeah. behind the... You have this these <laughs> barricades that you can run up to and hide behind. And that's great because you're safe until you put your head up because then you're only about 15 yards from someone who can throw a snowball at 300 miles an hour. And it's... I thought it was... Pretty hairy. But as, so I, the I weird didn't thing really is, like it. I'm going to say it. I didn't like the snowball fight. <laughs> but as your show shows, uh, Japan, this 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 country, you know, so many sort of uh, inventions. Some of them never ever leave Japan. But you know, you take the snowball fighting. They've got a stadium for it. It made me think there may be other things that we do that could be the next stadium sport. For example, chucking someone in the bin in the kitchen. I'm pretty damn good at that. I'm not Want to put it on that. Sky Sports? Chucking things in the bin at kitchen would be quite a good sport. Well, we invented one the other day. When, this is not really a new sport, but in the pub near my house uh, a couple of years ago, there was a mysterious power cut. Something went bang in the cellar, you know how it is with old buildings. And it was in the winter and it went completely dark. So we invented a game called Darts in the Dark, which is where you have... <laughs> but you have a torch. So we were, we'd been playing darts anyway and it, and, it yeah. went, and it went black. So we said, well, we'll carry on. So somebody was shining the torch and it's very difficult to throw the darts when the torch is wobbling around. So we decided you throw your three darts Amazing. in darkness and then the other bloke puts the torch on and you see what you've scored. It's like a big reveal at the end. We were no worse in the dark than we were with the lights on. That's... So it could be some form of a circuit thing going on there, you know? I don't mean about the electricity. I mean in terms of uh, national events, out stuff that you might be good at. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, there are lots of... Yes, I mean, throwing things in the bin, that's, a, that's an extremely good example. I'm trying to think what other things... Guessing uh, when the microwave's about to ping. I'm really good at that, going back in the kitchen. Yes. Just as it's about to that's ping. That's quite a good one. Working out how far you've gone round the car in the jet wash before it stops. Because yeah. if it stops before you get to the end. And balancing broomsticks on the end of your finger once you've had a few pints. That's yes. always... That's quite a good game. That's possibly the closest to being that. a new stadium sport. I'm not sure the microwave ping one is one I'd walk through a turnstile hey, I've, I've watched some weird stuff on Eurosport. Sport. Watch this space. <laughs> uh, just to go back to Japan, I mean, obviously, as as the TV and internet and social media apparently makes the world smaller, Japan mm. always seems still quite impenetrable. Do you know what I mean? You've yeah. been there, you talk about the fact that it was your 10th time in Japan. Do you feel like you've cracked it a bit more than you have? Do you know more about it than before, or is it still slightly mystical and, and it's, it's, the it's other? It's still a complete mystery, to be brutally honest. I mean, we spent a lot of time before we went saying, you know, what's the way to do this? Do you start in Tokyo? That's actually what most people would do on the famous, you know, crossing or on a bullet train. He says, no, we can do that. We could start in Osaka because that sort of slightly alternative Japanese city, it's a little bit more old school. It's very bright. It's very much about street food. It's very sort of visually noisy. And then after wrestling with it for quite a long time, we decided to start at the top and head to the bottom. <laughs> Makes that sense. Was, it made it everything much easier. <laughs> so we saw not all of it. I mean, that would be a silly thing to say, but we, we, we sort of experienced the whole gamut of Japanese stuff and it, it's still pretty baffling, I've yeah. got to be honest. It's, I mean, it's more open than it felt to me when I first went in about 1996, I think it was. But Japan is still very Japanese. I mean, that's what's appealing about it, let's be honest. You go there and, it, and everything about it is alien, you know, the way the food looks, the way things are presented, sort of certain points of etiquette, 
all these things, the way mm. you check into a hotel, just every single layer of stuff in Japan is a bit different, and that makes it fantastically interesting. So is there something we can learn from the Japanese in terms of your time over there that you, you've picked up? Well, people people ask that, and it's it's actually... I don't want to get sort of too deep or too political about it, but I've, I'm conflicted about it because I love going to Japan because it's so very Japanese. Even with their recent efforts to become a bit sort of multicultural and a bit more open, it still feels very Japanese and quite... You know, slightly intimidating, and I like that because it makes it a great adventure. But I don't feel that about Britain. I wouldn't say you know Britain should be really British. I think no, no, I don't. I like it being multicultural, so it's full mm. of interesting food to eat late at night and all the rest of it. So I'm I'm being a, a dreadful hypocrite. Like well, if, you, if you want to get intimidated, get yourself down to Yeovil or Bridgewater. <laughs> well, we'll do that here, no problem at all. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but um, uh, I've completely lost the thread of what I was saying. This is how complicated this all is. The the, the pleasure of going to Japan is is actually in doing everyday things, like going to the shops, going on a train, driving around in a car, because it's different enough and the, you know, the, the, the visual thing is different and the, and the language is different and you can't read all the signs and the little customs and so on are so different that it, just, it becomes a joy to go and buy a pencil. It's, just, it's fantastic. <laughs> you speak about going on the train. Um, having enjoyed some of your other uh, shows that you did, like your, your toy series a few years ago... Um, I know. I felt you were downplaying how much you enjoyed meeting the super geeks and the train spotters. Oh, I loved them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they talking. were fantastic. I knew it. <laughs> I loved it. Two things about them was that they, um, again, I think this is quite a Japanese thing. They take train spotting and then they subdivide train spotting. I mean, it, it, it's such an enormous subject, we couldn't possibly do it justice, but. You have people who know about steam locomotives, people who know about uh, diesel-electric locomotives, people who know about routes, people who know about timetables. There was one bloke we heard of. He is an expert on locomotive wiring diagrams. <laughs> wow. And that is his branch of train spotting, <laughs> and he's not alone. And it, but the thing that's really nice about it is that, you know, we tend to dismiss any enthusiasms as sad. They go, oh, he's a train spotter. He's sad, oh, he likes making model battleships. He's sad, oh, he clicks down. Oh, that's really sad. In Japan, they just embrace it, and they say, this is essential for society that we have these nutcases in it <laughs> yeah. that go and sing along to train jingles <laughs> and so on. And, and as a result, everybody's happy. This was the other thing, the train jingles. Every, every single... Um, um, tube station had its own little jingle and like if you catch the tube in London the best you'll get is the name of the station and yeah. the side the doors opening yes exactly that the, the jingle composer was saying to me what you know we were surrounded by his keyboards he's the sort of like the Rick Waitman of Japan he's got <laughs> wow. keyboards in all directions and he was saying uh, well, what's a jingle like in, in on a British station? I just leant over and went, dink. See it, say it, sorted. Simple as that. Uh, just speaking of tech, obviously Japan and technology is hugely connected. But I, I'm going to mention this before on the show, but uh, in 2020 as we stand, would you agree, James, uh, robots still quite disappointing? Oh, robots have been disappointing since I was a child. What is it with robots? Why aren't they? Well, they're, they're sci- they've lived up to their sci-fi I beginnings. Know, it's, it's a bit like the self-driving car thing, which is another robotics problem problem and in all honesty I, I love the idea of it I love the idea of the modern world in the future but it's such a long way off isn't it because you're talking about something that can think for itself and react to all the inputs that we deal with I mean if you take driving a car or even walking down a busy street in London say what we do as human beings is incredible the amount of information processing we do and the amount of reacting to it and how agile our bodies are even if you're a bit cronky you know you're still brilliant at it and the idea that we can replicate that to make a car go around by itself or make a robot cook for you or they or can't even it, get up the stairs though they, can't, they can't do anything they can't even get up the stairs <laughs> it's, 
I love that the, blo- the robot bloke I met had the right idea. He kept robots in the world of sort of 1950s sci-fi where they were just a, a, a great laugh. <laughs> you know, they weren't, I mean, they couldn't even get out of the room where he built them. They were that hopeless as robots. But they were, they were wonderful things. They were wonderful creations. I, I thought his, his approach was correct. <laughs> robots have been a great laugh. I love that. Of the inventions and the tech that you saw out there, what was your favourite? I was, I was blown away by the, the translation sticks. Maybe they'd been around before... I hadn't seen them. As someone who suffers earwax problems, yeah, I actually <laughs> thought I actually thought this this machine. For those of you who haven't seen it yet, this machine that you could uh, you could look into your ear, but it was linked to your smartphone, and you could you could see the wax as you cleaned it. To me, amazing. game changer. Yeah, it's amazing. I know. I I mean, I get wax in my ears as well. I mean, let, let's all be very open. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's, uh, I don't, I'm not sure I want to look at it. I know when it's there and I know how to get it out with a rolled up corner. You would want to have a look at it though when it comes out, surely. I, well, oh yeah, when it comes out, of course. So yes. you're, you're, you're more unsettled by looking at it before you've managed to get it out? I worry about putting something that small in my ear because on a packet of cotton buds they say do not insert into the inner ear. I mean, we all do it, but you're not supposed to. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think the phrase like is, knitting needle. Nothing, <laughs> nothing smaller than your elbow is meant to go down the ear, isn't it? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Is that a phrase? That is a phrase. There's really? One, there's another one that say women must enjoy sex more than men because if you put your finger in your ear, your ear has a much better time than your finger. <laughs> well, I would have bought. I would have bought that device because my wax doctor co- that cost me eighty quid a visit. So to do it freely myself by opening up an app. I think the Japanese are onto something. Well, I wish you'd said I'd have, I'd have brought one home for you. They, <laughs> oh, they weren't even that expensive. We've got Next an idea for, for the show, James. I just wanted to see whether we could get you in on this. Um, we want to offer our listeners, our hometown listeners on Absolute Radio, uh, the opportunity to go with Richie and I. Maybe a group of us could go down and go and get our ears professionally cleaned together. Would you enter a competition for something like that? Like a, a day out, you go and get your ears done? Yeah. Fair enough. I've only, I've only had it done... We've gone very off topic, haven't we? But <laughs> it was in your I've show. Only, yeah. I've only had my ears professionally cleaned out once in my life, which was a, it was a long time ago. I was in my late 20s. And I gradually went deaf in my left ear. And I wasn't really aware of it until I was on an aeroplane flight and I yawned and just for like a quarter of a second while it must have opened up the big blob of wax stuck in my ear, the engines suddenly sounded really loud and then they were gone again. And I thought, that's odd. So I went to see the nurse, you know, and she looked and went, <laughs> and then and then she did the the hot water syringe thing, which yeah. is fantastic. It's amazing. You're aware of water going into your ear, yep. but you can't. You, you have no sense of it coming back out again. So you keep waiting for the water to go past your eyeballs, like, you know, <laughs> like in a cartoon. But, well, I'm taking your answer to this question great. as uh, celebrity endorsement for hundred percent. So that's that great. Was a, that was an elaborate yes. I'll yeah. join in your James May's <laughs> ear, ear, uh, wax earwax challenge. removal on home time, <laughs> absolute radio. This isn't what I was expecting. <laughs> uh, just to go back to the travelling side of things, obviously you, you travel a hell of a lot with what you do. Uh, what are the essentials, the James May essentials that go into your suitcase that you always take with you when you do one of your adventures? Oh, well, I've long been a, a believer that as long as you've got your passport and your wallet, providing you've got a bit of money in your account, I suppose, you're sort of OK, because if you get really desperate, you can buy some pants. I've had to do that many times. Yeah. But I suppose essential things, to be honest, these days it's an iPad or a tablet of some sort, um, emergency medicines for if you get the clarts or something, which is perfectly possible on the sort of trips we do, <laughs> and nail clippers. <laughs> nail clippers? Oh, really? Yeah. Curveball. They do, they're useful for all sorts of things, mainly for clipping your nails when they grow <laughs> unexpectedly. Um, 
that's about it. Really. So you don't like sneak lucky... tea bags or anything like that. Yeah, no, like taking some kind of British bastion with you, like a pot of marmite. I've, avoid, I've, yeah. I've honestly really resisted that because it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you take your tea bags if that's what you really like, and you go to a country that doesn't do tea, i.e., anywhere other than Britain? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it just it just feels so sort of old and, and caravany. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I, t- I do take energy bars. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I take those as emergency food, and I have a lucky pebble. Which I take. Oh right. Oh right. Has which it got I a name for, or is it just a? It's a, yeah. It's pretentious though. It's called uh, Virgin and Lamb because it looks a little bit like a naked woman with a um, a lamb sort of nuzzling into her armpit. This is. Was it? That's a, not meant to sound kinky. <laughs> that is. It, it's an artwork. That's what it looks like. Was it so a bought pebble or one you picked off a beach? It was actually given to me by Richard Hammond. Believe it was or not. Was it really? Many, 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 many years ago. I think possibly before we even did Top Gear together. Wow. And he picks it up and he says, he says, here's a pebble. He says, I've given that to you and that's now lucky. And I thought, well, what if it is? So, so it is lucky because I believe it is and I've yeah. always had it with me when I travel. That's amazing. And you've travelled a hell of a lot. It's, people need to get their hands on some Hammond pebbles if uh, <laughs> that's not a thing. Well, you could turn it into a business, I suppose, if he was enterprising, but he's not. Like <laughs> <laughs> Whilst you're on your travels, the first yeah. thing that you would do entering the hotel room, uh, is there, or is there not something that you do as a ritual? There isn't something I do as a ritual, but I think the, th- the first thing you do is scrabble around looking for that slot where you have to put the card to make the lights work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the next thing you have to do after that, in most hotel rooms, is work out how to operate the lights. It does annoy me that um, even fairly mainstream hotels, I'm not talking about sort of luxury resorts, they, they rejoice in having very complicated lighting that you can't turn off. And the worst thing that can happen is that you go, you know, have a meeting with your colleagues, go have your supper, have a drink at the bar, and you go to bed and you're knackered because you're jet-lagged, and you get to bed and you think, the lights are still on. (laughs) And then you spend another two hours. And in one hotel, I discovered that the lights were turned off with a remote control box that was hidden in the wardrobe, and that's just bloody-mindedness. Yeah, that's ridiculous. There needs to be one big red panic button on the wall that just says off. It's like an escape room. everything is off, yeah. Well, one other thing to talk about the travelling side of thing. Uh, on our hometown show, we have a um, a thing called the British Transport Social Police that uh, Richie and I have launched, and it's a uniformed hypothetical task force that travel around on the planes and trains and tubes of the United Kingdom, cracking down on antisocial behaviour. Uh, and we're always expanding Ooh. our constitution of what is considered to be uh, not not legal or something we can crack down on. Is there anything that other people do on social uh, on public transport that you would like to see the British Transport Social Police crack down on, James? Well, on on London public transport, on the tube, essentially, I'd, I'd make it imprisonable to carry a rucksack on your back. Okay. Because nobody remembers that they have one on. Yes. And, it's a, and it all becomes a bit Laurel and Hardy with a plank of wood or a pane of glass <laughs> turning around, yeah, and they do that. <laughs> aeroplanes, um, what's the thing that I don't like people doing on aeroplanes? Talking to me, <laughs> What, have a little chat with you? You no, don't, want, don't, you don't want to strike up conversation with anyone? Not usually, no. I sort of quite like to be left alone which is fair enough it's fair enough but I, i'm still blown away by the tube one really of all the of all the people we've talked to of all the of all the things that we've put in protocol ourselves. yeah no one's ever talked about rucksacks never even mentioned and i'm it. right on board with it i love it it's true though isn't yes it, it people, is yeah. people forget that they have done it myself you forget that you have one on because rucksacks are comfortable that's why we wear them but it makes you twice as deep as you normally are 
So when you turn around, without getting bogged down in the physics, but the, your radial speed remains the same, but the circumfer- circumferential speed of your rucksack is is high. So there's a map behind yes. knocking someone yeah. out with your rucksack. And there's some of us that don't need to be any deeper than what we are already as well. So. I, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we'll add that into subsection 11.4 about we will ba- indeed. Uh, back wear whilst on the tube. Uh, listen, uh, James, lovely to speak to you. Our man in Japan, you can get that right now from Amazon Prime Video. Enjoy it, is that right? It is it's indeed, good. yeah. Uh, listen, thank you so much. And hope your cold improves with the Lemsips and the, the Fisherman's Friends that we've given you. Actually, could I just say, you were talking about, your, what, sorry, what's your task force called? The British Transport Social Police. The British Transport Social Police. Thinking about flights, it's just occurred to me that most of the crimes on flights are committed by the crew, not the passengers. How do you mean? Well, they turn the heating up too much and they wake you up to tell you that the outside temperature is minus 57 and no one gives a top. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 well. A late entry into avionics. And they yeah. say bread items and that can't possibly be allowed if they say any bread items for you. They're not bread items, it's bread. <laughs> Talk properly. <laughs> Once we got him started, we'd be able to stop. <laughs> got him. Uh, James May, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.